Hello and welcome to Gentle Touch. This podcast is a place where people can learn, discover and upscale mentally, spiritually and emotionally. This show is all about breakthroughs so get ready for some good vibes, realness and lots of information. You will be joined by me, your podcast host Alejandra Castro. Some of the shows will be just me and other shows will have guests open up new perspectives and views. My passion is to inspire and educate people who feel stuck. I will show you ways you can improve your overall health by sharing powerful tools that you can implement into your daily life. Let's get started. Girl, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Finally, my first guest from Australia. So you're in, where are you in the UK? So I'm in London. Oh, beautiful. How are things there? We're unsoggy. Yeah, that sounds about right. Aaron, girl, you ready? Yes, I'm so Let's ready. Do <laughs> Let's do it. Where are you based in Australia? I'm actually based in Canberra. So it's the capital of Australia. It's about two hours south of Sydney. It's inland, unfortunately. So I don't get the beautiful coast like oh, everyone else does every day. Yeah, I'm so happy you're my first guest from Australia. We're crossing borders out here. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you. We finally got this wood. Aaron, tell me about you like tell me about your journey so you have a bachelor's is it in world politics yeah I actually have a bachelor in world politics oh, funny enough and, and, and I was like reading the bio and I was like what this girl what and then and then you were working like with human trafficking in between the states and and U.S. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually studied um, Bachelor of Arts in World Politics at Ohio State in the U.S., and then I did anti-human trafficking work in the U.S. and here in Australia. So in Australia, I mainly focused on organ trafficking and uh, labor trafficking, and then in the U.S., I focused on sex trafficking. So I was in that work for quite a bit, and then I got out of it after about five years. How did you find it? Um, I, funny enough, I actually originally went to college to become an orthopedic surgeon, and then I- You got strong hands? You got strong hands? Yeah, I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And on a Friday night, I like went to the thrift store with my friends and I found this book called Half the Sky. And it's like this book about human trafficking, domestic violence, all of the issues that women face across the world. And I think within like a week, I had changed my major. Wow. And then I just like deep dove into it and learned more about it. And turns out like I was from one of the biggest cities in the United States for human, uh, human trafficking issues. So it was a good spot to be to learn a lot about it. Wow. And that's like what yeah. now having done the course what have you learned because that's some deep heavy stuff like emotionally the energy that comes around it like for you to go into mm. it not everyone has the strength or the mindset or the character to be able to stand what you're gonna face the knowledge the information how you present yourself you know yeah no it's a very hard place to be in um it's very confronting because you realize how common it is I think before that you're kind of like in a little bubble thinking like oh okay well this happened you know people see the movie Taken and they're like oh you know it happens but it's not gonna happen to me but it's it's very confronting it's everywhere it's in every country every city every you know like there is no like there's no discrimination when it comes to human trafficking and essentially my degree didn't do I don't know if I can cuss on this but didn't do shit (laughs) when it came to learning didn't do anything I honestly learned everything that I learned from working with nonprofits in the cities. My degree, honestly, I regret going to college because I barely learned anything from it. I got all of my information, my knowledge, my trainings, my experience from working with nonprofits that were working with victims and working with legislation and governments to start reducing those stats and giving women and children their lives back. Because yeah, I mean, there's a lot that college can teach you, but (laughs) there's a lot that it can't. So really getting out there and getting your hands into the work is where you're going to figure out what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And that's a hard place to be in. But if you can have the mental capacity to stay in that industry and, you know, work to fight for human rights, that's incredible. Wow. What you have said is so, so powerful. It's just amazing how you could go somewhere and learn so much and pick up so much and just expand your mind. Girl, so so you're a smart cookie. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm smart. I just work really hard. <laughs> But yeah, when, when I, I totally when agree I with saw you. that, I was like, you, Aaron. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just work really hard. I spend a lot of time studying more than probably the average person. Oh, <laughs> Aaron, so how did we go from here to now? Um, was it like, how does it work? Was it the endometriosis, like diagnosis? Like how did your career pivot to where we are now? Yeah, because yeah, it's completely like 
completely different turn, I guess. Um, so actually, I when I started getting more into human trafficking issues here in Australia, I think that's when I started to become a little bit more hands-on in working with the child sex trafficking issues um, and like becoming more confronted with that. And during that time, I also like, it was my first time having sex when I moved to Australia and like those came together. And I unfortunately started experiencing PTSD from memories I didn't have until that point of like childhood sexual abuse so like my mental health thanks no it's okay like I'm on the other side of it now but during that time like I didn't know what was happening I wasn't functioning and I wasn't talking to anyone about it so I was just getting worse and worse and worse and you know when you're in that mental state of dealing with PTSD from your own childhood sexual abuse and then having to read cases and hear the stories of other people dealing with this on a day-to-day basis not just you know one-off sexual abuse from one person but from thousands of people from any type of age that's when it really started to get worse and then I went back to the U.S. to work in a safe house and I think that was kind of the last straw for me is I was going to be working in this safe house with these girls in the local city that had been trafficked some of them had been trafficked from the early ages of six years old they'd been on the streets Um, like what is a safe house a safe house is a house where girls are rescued and they that's where they live Yeah, so essentially these were girls in Columbus, Ohio that had been rescued off the streets and they were staying in this safe house where essentially they were minors. So they still needed to go to school and they needed to do all these things. And during that time, they were also getting healing treatments like uh, like mental therapy. A lot of them were addicted to drugs because that's a major part of the human trafficking industry. So also working with doctors to start to bring them down off the addiction to certain drugs. But how does it work? Is it like cocaine or is it like like alcohol or how or is it just a cocktail of drugs a combination I would say it's a combination that's a good question because I never went into detail on the drugs but I do know that it was a lot more than weed it was um I would say probably more like the meth cocaine area because I know that in Ohio specifically heroin's also very very big apparently Ohio has great water for it I don't know what that means but that would be I don't know what that means you're my translator girl Yeah. So that would be a big drug that they would use. And essentially the the reason that they use drugs on these girls is because it keeps them into it. So all of these girls, I think at the time, there were four girls in the house. They were all trafficked off by their parents when they were really young. And so the way that traffickers keep them in the in basically this illegal industry is by attachment issues. So they basically treat them like, oh, you're my queen, you know, like I want to get you whatever you want. And then over time, there's this really bad bondage because they've dealt with the trauma from their past families. And now they have this person sitting there giving them the attention that they need. And they say, well, I'm giving you this. So you need to do this for me, X, Y, and Z. No questions asked. And then as time goes, the way to keep them in it is to get them addicted to drugs because if they ever do try to leave, they're not going to be able to afford those drugs on their own. So they typically go back. So you're also dealing with that. Most of these girls were around 14 or 15 and their mental ages were probably around seven or eight. I'd say there was one that probably was probably the most mentally stable, but the rest of them, I mean, some of them didn't even know the basics of how to wipe when it came to going to the bathroom. Well, like, is, is so that, that's like the Is that because they're not tall or is that because of the drugs? I would say it's the drugs, the mental trauma and the way that impacts the brain chemistry and then on top of living on the street. So when you're being sex trafficked, you're not getting, you know, living in a mansion. You're not living in the five-star hotel. Like you're, you're usually living in a very dirty drug house on most of them actually on the streets and they don't learn those basics. Um, and then they also end up with other mental health issues like hoarding certain products. There was one girl there who would hoard everything because she's never had the ability to have her own stuff. So this is her first time having her own room, having her own stuff, but she was hoarding, you know, used tampons, used pads because she was so scared to like go of anything because she was so used to everything, not having access to everything, um, even the basics such as tampons and pads. So it's a hard industry to be in. And it was very, very confronting. I'm so glad I went to the safe house, you know, got that little bit of experience, but my mental health capacity capacity. This is is very deep stuff. How, how do people that work in this area look after themselves? Like mentally, because, because you go in there and then you're going to leave energetically, just like heartbroken. Like you're going to come out this stress, regardless of how strong you are, you're going to see something that day that's going to trigger you. Whether it be a young girl that's like holding uh, sanitary pads and just like, no, 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 we, we need to like the smell, we like the hygiene, like, 
we need to get rid of this we need to help mm. you how do you cope and how for you to know where you are now you have the experience you've had the knowledge you've been in it what would you say to anyone that that wants to do this that wants to get into that field I have a friend that wants to do a master's and she wants to work in this area what advice would you give the individual because not everyone can handle it mm. Yeah, that's amazing that your friend wants to get into it. And I know the UK especially needs it as well. I would say the UK is probably just as bad as the US. Whenever I see like, I feel like the UK, there is a lot of tracking issues, but I see a lot of organizations popping up and doing the work. So props to the UK and all the organizations there doing this hard work. I would say my biggest recommendation is make sure that you have some type of professional mental therapist, like a therapist, a counselor a psychiatrist psychologist just also you want to make sure that when you're talking to your professional that you are dealing with any underlining trauma because the minute you take on these other people's trauma you live with it day to day you go to sleep thinking about those kids you wake up thinking about those kids it's constantly on your mind so work with someone and if you need a break take that break because it has such a big burnout rate because of how intense it is on your mental health So just do your best, but don't wear yourself out because it's a very, very hard human rights area to be in. What's the likelihood of the girls, like how does it work? So so they'll stay in a safe place. They will then continue to go to school or they work with other healthcare professionals. What's the likelihood, like how does it work? Like down five years down the line, would they be able to kind of uh, go to uni or, or how does it work, you know? Because because of what you said and yeah. the damage in the brain, the damage that the drugs have done, all the trauma, like what 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 can we say for the girls? Yeah, this is a good question. It actually totally depends. So I believe I'm this is based off United States stats. I believe it's you have around six years to rescue someone out of human trafficking before they end up dead what? within it. If they do yeah, from the moment they step into the sex trafficking industry. Mm. you have about six years before something else happens yeah so when it comes to where they go uh this is like that gray area so the organization that i was working with was government funded which means since these girls were minors the government had to fund for them to be in this safe house in the united states government what we know about the united states is our taxes are very very low so the funding for these girls to be at this safe house to get you know constant nurses have private school education because they are typically going to regular classrooms because they are farther back in the school education system even though they are older because they haven't been into in school to learn those extra things. So, you know, I believe at this safe house, the government was paying anywhere from like 10 to 15,000 USD a month. So the unfortunate thing about working with the government is when the government gets tired of paying, they're going to say, hey, we're done paying for them to be in the safe house. They just need to go to a regular foster care home. Then they get to the foster care home. And then that's where it really de- determines how are the parents in that foster care home? Can they deal with the trauma, the medical expenses that this child needs. If not, a lot of times they can end up back in the industry because they had been in it for so long. And if they're at a place that where no one understands it, because the thing is they've lived a life where they don't trust anybody. Like I went into that safe house and I think one of them trusted me, which is fair enough. They've been treated like crap their entire lives. So then you put them in this foster care home, they either like it or they don't, they don't get along with the family, they might end up back on the streets. Some of them do make it through. There are private safe houses that don't work with the government. It's all private funding, it's all donations, fundraising, and a lot of those do succeed to go on to, you know, have um, college degrees and have families but they still have a lot of work to do. I know, unfortunately, there was an organization in Columbus who was actually run, it was actually an organization run by a woman who was trafficked in the city. And her organization was dedicated to covering up the tattoos that were put on women during when women are trafficked. So a lot of time when women are trafficked, the trafficker's name will be tattooed across their chest, across their vulva, across their lower abdomen to basically say, you're my property. And I want everyone to know that, including you. So this um, tattoo organization basically went in and when girls came out of being trafficked they could get their tattoo covered up into something they actually wanted because obviously it would be too expensive to remove but they don't want to carry that for the rest of their lives as well so they essentially get it covered up and this woman was doing great she was running an organization she had a family but 
she still had that trauma. She still had that addiction that went so far back. And unfortunately in her thirties, she ended up getting addicted to drugs again and overdosing. So it's, she does so it's so not well, like, like look how many, yeah, people yeah. Like, oh, man. you carry, you carry that with you for your life. So some are going to come out on the other end. Some, unfortunately not. And that's, that's why it's such a hard place to be in because you can do everything possible, but they have to deal with that the rest of their lives. No matter how much therapy is, they have to live with those memories. And I can't imagine what goes on in their head. You're you're a very special individual. Like it takes a certain, it takes a certain kind of individual to be able to step into certain situations and like, you know, not everyone can do that. Yeah, so I hope that if anyone out here is looking to go into it, don't fear. Like, if this is your passion, this is where you want to go, do it because it's so, so needed. Just make sure you also take care of yourself because that is a great deal of trauma that you're also taking wow. on. Aaron, so, so you did yeah. this and then this was in the US and then what happened next? Did you yeah. go back to, to Australia? Yeah, good question. That's where we were originally <laughs> headed. Oh my God. So, girl, I, have you ever thought yeah. of making a movie? I love it. Like, a Netflix series? <laughs> well, there's still so much I have to learn. Like the trafficking industry is always changing and there's constantly stuff changing. So there's still so much I have to learn as well. So essentially I got out of the anti-human trafficking industry, attended therapy, got so, so much better. And I remember I was getting ready to move back to Australia and I was just sitting with my mom at the airport because my partner is Australian. So I was moving back to Australia. didn't really know what I was going to do. I was just kind of like, I don't think I can do the anti-human trafficking stuff anymore, um, but I'm still want to do something I'm really passionate about women like that's my thing and my mom was like oh have you ever heard of period poverty and I was like no she's like I was reading an article at work about period poverty in the UK and I was like oh I've never heard this term so then I got to the US I mean I got to Australia and I started really researching it and there was a lot of research for the UK Canada and um, America on period poverty and what that looked like and that also ties into you know like human trafficking issues as well but it ties into a lot so that's when I started to really want to start doing work in this but here in Australia there's maybe about one organization that works on period poverty so I was kind of thinking of starting my own thing but the one of one of the biggest things I wanted to start to learn about was why did we have a period like I wanted to provide this education and body literacy to young girls but I didn't even know I had a period because I had been on the pill for 13 years um, what, for painful periods so I was like on the, on, on the pill for how long 13 years yeah 13 years so I went on when I was Ten and a half. Yeah, like the doctor was just like either because because my periods were so painful, they were either like you can get pregnant or go on the pill. And obviously, I was ten, so I wasn't getting pregnant. It was the most like arrogant comment ever. So I went on the pill, what and I hadn't come off of it. Yeah, seriously, I was so terrified to come off of the pill. And then when I started to learn a bit more about, you know, period, and then I found out about Dr. Jolene Brighton, who is just like the queen for talking about how if you were on the yeah, Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's amazing. Like she's like when I go for anywhere for my research, that's who I go to first. She's a naturopathic doctor out of the US. She now lives in I think like Costa Rica, but she's very, very big on Instagram. Like I don't know, like 400,000 followers or something. And she she is known for talking about the side effects of the hormonal birth control pill and how you don't want to use a hormonal birth control pill to cover up your symptoms. And for me, that was period pain. And a lot of my pain was actually coming back, even though I had been on the pill for 13 years. So that's when I got off of it. All of my symptoms came back, painful periods, horrific PMS, but I just continued to educate myself, like, you know, finding other naturopathic doctors and finding the other books and learning that if all of these symptoms are there, they're there for a reason and there are answers to them. So that's where I really started digging into that transition between um, anti-human trafficking work and period wow wow that's, that's such a powerful thing and it's yeah. crazy how you could go into one way and slowly slowly your journey however it's meant to be it will start to open up yeah no it's it's crazy that it's cool that it tied in because when I started empower when I wanted to empower these other women, I was actually empowering myself with so much education and it was just so cool I remember sitting down with one book taking charge of your fertility by Tony Weschler and there's this one page where she has talking about endometriosis and I just sat there like tick marking all of the symptoms I'm like this is me and I remember when I was 10 I remember going to the doctor and my mom asking the doctor very directly could this be endometriosis because 
her younger sister had actually been diagnosed with it. So my mom was always like, all of your symptoms line up to what my little sister's symptoms were, but you just don't pass out from your pain like my sister did. (laughs) That was the only difference. So my aunt would actually pass out from the amount of pain that she was in. So she was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. And then she also had adenomyosis and fibroids. So kind of makes sense why I have uterine issues as well. (laughs) How does she cope with it? Um, my aunt, I'm trying to think like she originally was told like she would never be able to have kids. So she just had unprotected sex all through her 20s and ended up getting Boom. pregnant. There you go. The amount of doctors that tell my girls, oh, you got polycystic ovaries, you can't fall pregnant. Oh, yeah, they, all of them are on the second kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, oh, you can't have kids. I'm like, no, I've seen plenty of people with PCOS and endo still go on to have kids. Like, I don't know where this idea that doctors are just like, no, can't do it. I'm just like, wow. What is this? So, 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 then, so yeah. then how did, did you diagnose yourself? So I basically, what I did, because I had, because basically through high school, I had had rounds and rounds of antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, three orthopedic surgeries, oh my God, Aaron, that's rounds of physical therapy. Yeah, so like I had a lot of back and hip pain and essentially after those surgeries, after those steroid injections, nothing ever got better and I just assumed that I would be in pain for the rest of my life. And then once I started learning about endo, I realized a lot of these symptoms were associated with endo. So what I did is I actually got a note card, which I found the other day. I don't know what I did with it now, but I looked up all of the research studies that backed these symptoms and how they related to endometriosis because I knew when I got home, I was going to meet with two doctors and I just had a feeling one of them wasn't going to believe me. So I wrote down all of my symptoms in the research study in which they related back to endometriosis. And you're a smart cookie. And I you're a smart cookie. So <laughs> yeah. like, Yo, this girl has an argument here. <laughs> yeah because that's the thing unfortunately you have to go and you have to advocate for yourself you don't have a choice like they do not care you have to do it so I flew back to the U.S. in the middle of the year I met with one doctor at 8 a.m. and he was just like you need to get back on the pill like if you do have endo you don't want kids so I don't know why you're worried about it and then I went to a doctor like two hours later and she just sat there listened to me wrote down all my symptoms she, she was just like if it's not endo then what else would it be like I don't know why it's taking you this long to get a diagnosis from a doctor it's ridiculous so then she ended up actually performing my surgery and diagnosed me with stage two endo and then I have like four really small fibroids so (laughs) so I got a formal diagnosis it's just crazy how long it takes it's it's crazy how someone will be like Mm. oh you need to come on this you need to do this like hell no like sometimes we need to do our own research and we need to sit down and be like okay this is this is where it's at and and Mm. it's just so important and and even just coming on the podcast today and just saying listen I had to go and I had to research I had to study I had to link up to study because some people will be like no yeah no whatever and it's like no you're not you're not helping me you're not finding the root cause like I don't want to do this Mm, yeah exactly because that was even the other thing is so many doctors are like for example with PCOS as well they're just like okay well you have PCOS go on the pill there's nothing you can do about it same with endo they're like you're gonna need surgery every two years there's nothing else you can do are you crazy it's like no can you make that there you is no scar tissue. Like, what? How, how are they going to leave yeah. you inside? That's fucking crazy. No. Exactly. Nobody talks about the scar tissue. They're like, oh, you just get surgery in two years. They'll take the scar tissue out. But I'm like, yes, but that's going to cause more scar tissue. That is not a solution for me. So, like, for some people, they might need that endosurgery, especially depending on the extent of their endometriosis, because there are some people who have lost organs because of how bad that endo has developed. But there are still a lot of natural ways to reduce that inflammation. So, you know, like that's pretty much the main reason I dove into nutrition is because my surgeon, you know, performed the surgery. And then she said, you're going to need surgery every two years. I said, hell no. And I found, luckily found a book. I think it's actually out of the UK, a book for women that um, were looking at alternatives for their endometriosis. So essentially these women from the 1980s and 1990s that had gone through rounds and rounds of surgery and at like for their endo and they just finally got fed up with it. And that's when they started to look into the natural root causes and how that can reduce their symptoms. And I basically just followed all of their stories. And then that helped me tremendously. What what, what do you think has helped you the most? 
I would say the surgery definitely helped in terms of t basically telling me exactly what symptoms were endo. For example, I always had issues with constipation. Um, before my surgery, I actually went to the emergency room for severe stomach pain. And they basically said, you're severely constipated. And I said, well, I poop once a day. So how am I severely constipated? You guys say I need to poop at least three times a week. I poop seven times a week. And basically, I met with the gastro doctor. She said, this is the most I've ever seen anyone backed really? up in my entire line of yeah, like I, that, that, that's how backed up I was. So she had me do a colon cleanse. She went in there. She looked. She didn't find anything. And she basically said, it sounds like your brain just doesn't communicate with your colon when to release. And I said, okay, do I need to see a neurologist or something? And she said, no, just stay on laxatives the rest oh, of your yeah. life. I was like, great. Yeah. But then once I had the endosurgery, my doctor found a lot of my endometriosis on my colon and my rectum. And then once she took it off, within two weeks of healing, I was pooping, you know, three to four times a day. Wait, and so wait, that wait, helped wait, me wait, identify. So, so what did she see? Yeah. She found the endometriosis, a lot of it on my colon and my rectum. Oh. So it was restricting my colon and rectum from properly moving yeah, stool out yeah, quickly. Yeah. So that, I, I would say the thing about surgery is it definitely helped me figure out what came from the endo and what was some other issue and pretty much 100% of all of my symptoms came from endo like my bloating my stomach pain my constipation my painful sex like painful periods all came from endo and then that helped me identify cool so I know when these symptoms come in that is an endo flare that is not something else that I need to look into with a different doctor and so I would say the surgery definitely helped and then I also nutrition has been life-changing I can't even explain like it's it's just made things so much easier you know identifying my food sensitivity activities, my food allergies, dealing with my gut health, dealing with my blood sugar, and then really starting to balance my vitamins and minerals has been crucial. And then also doing the occasional acupuncture has helped as wow. well. So what's your, for the, for the, for the individual that has endo, for the individual that's like kind of half in it, kind of half no, kind of, kind of like, like, I don't really want to do the research. I'm in self-denial. What would be the most easiest steps or like, whether it be food, whether it be nutrition, whether it be vitamins, what would would you tell that individual? Yeah, for sure. Is this for endometriosis yeah, yeah. or like painful? Oh, girl, painful period. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say like endo, fibroids, adeno, painful periods, like all kind of overlapped, I've noticed in my work. My top recommendations would be to number one is reduce the amount of like refined foods that you're eating, highly refined food. So I'm not saying don't never have bread or never have pasta. I'm saying things that are like purely white, full of sugar, nutrients completely stripped from it. Because in our modern day diet, we eat a lot of that. And when we're eating a lot of refined foods, we're not really giving our body any nutrients. That's why we eat foods. We use it to get energy and nutrients, vitamins and minerals. But these foods, they've been stripped of their vitamins, vitamins and minerals. And they're also quite high in sugar, which can be inflammatory to the body and to the gut. So I would highly recommend reducing refined carbs and refined sugars and then increasing your whole food. So eating, you know, your dark green vegetables, your fruits, and um, like your proteins, like meat and fish. And I know for some people, especially if there's any Americans on here, I don't know about the UK, we put sugar in everything. So make sure you're checking your products. And during the transition, as you start to eat more whole foods, you're going to get more nutrients in there. So you're going to start to feel better. You're going to get more fiber in there. And that's going to help with your constipation. But when it comes to your taste buds, I know at first yeah. things are going to taste real shitty. Because when I switched over, like starting to even just eat oatmeal without like any sugar in it, I was like, why would anyone mm -hmm. do this? <laughs> like, why would someone do this to themselves? But over time, your taste buds actually will change. You will be able to taste the difference between kale, spinach, different really? capsicums. Like, how, you will how actually did it take you. Yeah, you it took a bit of time because I ate a lot of sugar. So I would probably say when it came to actually tasting the difference in these foods, it probably took me around six months because I would eat a lot, a lot of sugar. So my refined sugar intake was very high. And when you first start eating these foods, you're just gonna be like, this sucks, it doesn't taste good. But what you can do is also if you're if you like making homemade treats, I love brownies, I love cakes, if I could have them every day, I would because I freaking love them. Replace your white sugar, your brown sugar, your icing sugar with things like maple syrup, um, stevia, honey, those seem to cause less inflammation and less problems for people. So that's one thing I would start with. Um, and then also, you know, if you can reduce your alcohol intake, because we know that alcohol automatically increases estrogen within the body and people with fibroids and endometriosis and painful periods, endometriosis produces its own estrogen on top of high estrogen in the body. So it often causes high estrogen, low progesterone. Fibroids are associated with low progesterone. Typically when there's low progesterone, there's high estrogen. And so are painful periods as well. So starting to reduce your alcohol intake can help 
tremendously. Increasing your water intake to help your cells and with your constipation, because we know that when we eat fiber, that's going to help with constipation. But when you partner fiber and water, that's actually removing a lot of estrogen throughout the body because we have three major detox areas. So that's that's, um, pooping, peeing, and sweating. So you want to support those every day as much as you can. So try to poop, you know, one to two times a day. Try to sweat at least once a day. like, like, yes, we work from home. Like, I'm out here, like, girl, I'm out here sharing a toilet. And just, like, girl, I can't be doing that. If you're sitting on the toilet for longer than I would say five to ten minutes, I would say that there's definitely something else going on. You shouldn't have to sit on the toilet that long to poop one to two times a day. It should take less than five minutes. If you find yourself pushing or straining, could be constipation, could be a pelvic floor issue where you might need to meet with a pelvic floor physical therapist. I have a pelvic floor physical therapist as well. So you want to definitely be pooping though. That is amazing. You have what? A pelvic floor therapist? Pelvic floor. Oh, it might be pelvic floor physiotherapist in the UK. Tell me. So it's like a physiotherapist that works specifically within the pelvic floor. So a lot of times, especially women, we hold a lot of tension in our pelvis and that can actually impact um, our periods, but also how we um, release our stool. So for me, because I have the endometriosis, because I usually hold so much tension in my pelvis, my muscles around my bowel contract a lot more than they should, which can make it harder for me to poop. Or if you find yourself straining, you are essentially... We shouldn't actually be straining when we're on the toilet. If you find yourself pushing quite a lot, holding your breath, that is actually the opposite of how the body's meant to function. I am not a physiotherapist, but pelvic floor physiotherapists can help tremendously if you deal with things like vulvodynia. I, I, I didn't even know this existed. This job role existed, girl. Oh, yes. I highly, highly recommend. You know, <laughs> you... Like, Did they recommend you or did they like refer you? Yeah. So I actually was having really bad... Um, well, painful sex came from the endo, but I was also having really bad pain around my vulva. So like getting these sharp barbed wire, lightning, jabbing pains, like through my clitoris and just through was my different it, parts of my this, vulva. Was this when you were having sex, after sex, before sex, or when, or, or just like during the day? This one is after sex when I moved back to the US to finish my degree before I moved back to Australia. Okay, so, 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 so this was in the sense. US? Yes, this was in the U.S. So I actually met with three different doctors. The first two were just like, not, I don't know what it is. Good luck. And then I finally found a doctor who said, you need to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And then the pelvic floor physical therapist basically said, I had vaginismus and vulvodynia. And vaginismus is basically like just tightening of the pelvic floor muscles, but especially the vaginal muscles. So if you have vaginismus for me or some of my friends as well, you might notice things like you're not able to insert a tampon or you're not able to insert your fingers because your vagina tightens up so much. And the UK actually is very, very well known for talking about vaginismus. You guys have some great organizations. Oh, really, and vulvodynia. Educate your girl. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> And then um, you're, yeah, the vulvodynia is just outside of the vagina, any type of pain out of there. And a pelvic floor physical therapist is able to go in there and figure out if there's any nerves that are being irritated, wow. if there's any muscles having issues, and then they can actually treat it. So highly so recommend how, anyone. Like, <laughs> how, how does this work? Like, how do you, this is so new to me. I'm like in shock. So how would you, how, how does the examination work, basically? Yeah, so Good question. When I feel like it's probably different for everyone. In my experience, I essentially went in, I told her what my issues were. She had a look at my breathing. Breathing is a huge one. And then she actually did an internal exam with my vagina. And so she was in, like, her fingers were inside of my vagina trying to locate the nerve that was being irritated. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was able to, like, locate the nerve that was running from, like, my vagina all the way back to my back through my buttocks. So, yeah, it's really, really cool. I highly recommend Everyone should see a pelvic floor physical therapist at least once. They actually recommend every person postpartum should see a pelvic floor no, physio. No, that's so. an important one. Postpartum, a hundred percent. I don't know. You know, I'll be a little bit shy. Like, I don't know how I'm setting my like. like <laughs> yeah. Definitely find someone you trust. Find someone you trust, of course. <laughs> you know, like, I just feel a little bit like I don't know. Like, I'll break a sweat. I'll feel like a little bit. Like, I don't know, you know, this is so different. This is so, like, <coughs> no, but it's so good that you've mentioned this. It's so good because sometimes we don't even know where to go, who to go to, who can direct us. And and it's amazing that, that you... So, so how does it work? She saw you, and then do you go back to her, like, every six months, every year, or how does it work? Yeah, so I have a new pelvic floor physio now, and essentially I see her maybe, like, once every three months, and we basically just go over what's going on. And then she 
kind of just examines what's happening, really listens to what's going on. And then, yeah, basically gives me exercises that I can do. And oftentimes it's the most simplest of exercises. For example, for the first six months, we were literally just working on diaphragm breathing. So instead of breathing into my chest, we were learning how to breathe into our belly, which is actually where we're That's supposed hot. to breathe. That's hot. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> it's I super hard. I don't even so we know spend- how to do that. Like I've tried it and I'm like, I can't even do this. This is mass- This is so hard. Yeah. So we worked on that for like six months. And then my new pelvic floor physical therapist really worked with me on constipation and not, you know, straining on the toilet, how to breathe properly to move stool down um, to how to like expand your diaphragm to help move your intestines and move the stool that's in your large intestines. And I can't tell you how much that's helped. Like I was actually stunned to see myself pooping without sitting there and straining to get it out. It was pretty incredible. They're very, I, they're not talked about enough, but I highly, highly I mean, recommend. I didn't even know this job existed, girl. Like honestly. It's very imagine. cool, yeah. You know, I love it because, yeah. because imagine if you yeah. had to come on the show, like I wouldn't even know. And there's people that are, there are people that are struggling indoors. They don't know what to do. They can't insert a tampon. They're like struggling. They can't insert their fingers. They don't even know what to do. They're so embarrassed. Like, you know, because it's a shy area. Like, not everyone's, girl, not everyone's got Aaron's personality out here. (laughs) I was definitely shy. So don't, the way I am now is not the way I've always been. It is definitely normal to be shy. Because I feel like also society just doesn't allow for us to talk about this type of stuff openly. It's super just like, don't talk about your vagina. Don't talk about your vulva unless it has to do with sex and birth like other than that don't mention it so all of this we just got to get more comfortable talking to other people about it so women are able to open up and realize wow those symptoms aren't normal because when I was having that like those pains in my vulva I basically went through that for like two years before I was like I can't deal with this That's anymore and I'm so embarrassed time. to a doctor someone a long time. So yeah and I was just like I'm done I'm over would this happen after sex or or or, or could it happen and like what was triggering did you have a trigger or no yeah so it's actually a trigger so they have found uh, not all the time but for a lot of people that vulvodynia and vaginismus symptoms typically kick in around the time someone remembers things like sexual abuse or they've been a victim of domestic violence or any type of you know a lot of times they do find that people who are part of religions that are very harsh on women might also develop symptoms of vaginismus vaginismus and vulvodynia so for me mine actually set in when i actually started having my ptsd from my childhood sexual abuse and i just did not put two and two together yeah, until but, i met yeah, with but someone you wouldn't, because who would have it like it, it, no it, we're not taught about it we 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 don't know what we don't know and like you know it's but, yeah. but well I'm so glad you've got the help I'm so glad you are in the position where you are now because you've actually been brave enough to actually step out to ask questions to carry on going to doctors because some people just give up and there's people living behind closed doors with issues in pain in distress they cry themselves to sleep and they don't know who to turn to yeah it's it's hard especially if doctors continually dismiss you it's really hard to go want to go into a doctor and to go in confidently because doctors can put you down so quickly they can put you down in an instant and that can make you feel like an absolute crazy person but the biggest thing I can recommend is you have to fight for your health health you have to be your advocate and you just have to push and push and push until you find someone that's going to listen to you and give you all of your options don't go with someone who's just like well this is it nothing else you can do about it it. no there's always more options out there you just need to find the right professional that's going to give you all of your no, options. I love it I love it I love it because people just feel like okay because they got a title because this and it's like you will always have the answers mm. you. if you're in pain if you have a trigger there's something that's not right and it's like people just believe okay because he's gone to medic medical school or because they have a title because they dress in a suit or like you know and it's not always like that I girl I saw your your vlogging girl it's so pretty and are all those pictures yours all those vegetables what is it sorry pictures yours all the vegetables and the fruits oh it depends which one you're talking about which website on your blog oh no on my website for any other business owners out there i highly recommend using stock photos i can't think of the website that i use but i just go and get stock photos i wish i was that good a photographer like (laughs) you know i I thought you had like your own garden, your or like your allotment with vegetables and just the whole deal. I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> I do have my own garden. It doesn't look no. like that, though. <laughs> I yeah. wish it did. Oh, oh goal yeah. setting out here. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I saw yeah. your, your, you do a yeah. lot of vlogging. You're very active. I saw one of your posts. It says, um, I no longer have blood clots. 
Oh, yes. So this is common for people with endoadenofibroids, painful periods. If you notice yeah. blood clots, which are essentially probably, oh, hey, I don't even know what the UK freaking, freaking massive. It's like a freaking, yeah, really? and I have heavy flow. Oh, okay. So you have a heavy period as well. So that's typically associated with things like low progesterone and high estrogen. So that's when you're going to want to start balancing those out. For me, I used to have horrendous blood clots. They were massive. And essentially over time, as I've started to balance my hormones and really focus on nutrition and acupuncture and just really supporting my body, I don't have blood clots anymore. So no, they're not normal guys. <laughs> they're not normal, but very, oh, very really? common. So, so what do you recommend? Is it just yeah. hormones as in progesterone? Do you need to like, uh, like what, what do you do there? Like look at your nutrition, look at your hormones. Yeah. Yeah, so the cool thing that about hormones is hormones are actually a symptom of something else out of balance. So a lot of people don't communicate this properly. But when we say like you have low progesterone, high estrogen, yes, like that is what a symptom, what symptom is going on. But hormones need a good bodily foundation to function properly. So if your digestion's out of balance, your hormones are out of balance. If your blood sugar's out of balance, your um, hormones are going to be out of balance as well. So hormones are basically just there to tell you, hey, okay, it is time for you to really start thinking about what's going on. And so a lot of times people just go and they get bioidentical progesterone, bioidentical estrogen, which they might need. But it's also important to look at those vitamins and minerals. Do you have any deficiencies that might be contributing to your estrogen levels being that high? For example, when I got my hair tissue mineral analysis done, they found that I have really high copper and low zinc. Funny enough, I have low progesterone and zinc and copper are needed in adequate levels to make good quality progesterone and to lower estrogen levels. So it's important to look at those other factors and also supporting your digestion. They've also so found if you do you get PMS at all? Then again, you get PMS. What is that? PM. I'm here. Do you know what words I've written down? I've wait, I've written down PMS, and then there's another word PCOS. What is that, Arian? Which one? PCOS. Is it P? Yeah. So I wrote PCOS and PMS, like with question marks to ask Arian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you ever need to interrupt me, just interrupt me. So when we're so P, I'll start with PMS. PMS is something that happens between ovulation and your period. You might notice it about a week before your period. You're going to notice symptoms such as breast tenderness, your breasts hurt, um, you have cramping, you get acne, you get mood swings. You might notice you're like really sad all of a sudden or you're super angry all of a sudden. Those are all signs of PMS. You might get bloated, deal with constipation, things like that. Those are signs of PMS, which are directly correlated to low progesterone levels in the body. And then PCOS is actually polycystic ovarian syndrome. There are an array of ways of get this to get to get this properly diagnosed, but it is a hormonal condition, which typically has to do with high testosterone levels in the body and high insulin levels in the body. So the, the thing with PCOS, PCOS can't be cured, but it is reversible. So it can't be cured. You'll always live with it, but you can reverse those enough. symptoms to start like, with. If you do it carefully, if, yeah, if, you exactly. it, if you get the knowledge, if you, if you make the time and the effort, that's good enough. Like, we can take that. That's all good. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so those are some things to look at. But when it comes to hormones, there's something else going on if your hormones are out of balance. So if you're dealing with blood clots, you're dealing with painful periods, figure out how do you feel after you eat? Do you often deal with bloating, diarrhea, constipation? Or do you find diarrhea yourself getting a dip? Sorry, what is it? When you're having your period? It can be common. So there's a few things that can cause diarrhea. They have found that when you start your period, we produce um we produce a hormone called prostaglandins. And prostaglandins are needed to actually keep our uterus to start contracting so that it can start shedding for our actual period blood ah. to come out. But if, when those hormones are a bit higher than usual, you might notice period cramps, but they also impact the muscles around like your colon which can cause diarrhea but things like endometriosis can also cause diarrhea on your period as well that was a big thing for me is on my period I would have explosive yeah. diarrhea um, and that was because the endo was essentially becoming deflared after spending that entire month being flared up and all of my stool was finally catching up and releasing so it can be in terms of if you just have a little bit of looser stool, like that can be fairly normal. But if you notice like it's quite a bit of diarrhea, quite a lot of blood, quite a lot of blood clots, you might want to be looking at what else might be going oh my gosh, on. Girl, girl, Aaron, girl, you listen, you need your own talk show, girl. You need your own podcast. Girl, oh, thanks. Girl, you have too much knowledge, man. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so I I'm just like, talk to me, babes. Talk to me. More information. More information. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, Aaron, <laughs> what is your favorite book? Ooh, like health book? Anything. Oh, that's a good question. I'm really loving John Connolly. Is that it? He wrote a book called The Woman in the Woods. It's like a mystery novel. I actually really enjoyed that. I need a little bit of excitement in my life since, you know, there's like the anti-human trafficking stuff. There's the health stuff. I'm actually quite a creative brain. So like my brain actually needs more creativity. It functions a lot better. So I love reading um, like mystery novels at the moment. I've also just finished Wondersmith for any people that like Harry Potter, this is kind of like the new age Harry Potter written by an Australian author. It's called The Wondersmith. So I really like Big that. Big up to well. all my Australian <laughs> authors out there. Aaron's going to be the next one. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Aaron, um, Aaron, this is this is a very delicate um question, but you know what I thought. You know what I I need to ask because you're very smart, you're very bubbly, you're very open. I have a lot of people that open up to me and they and they will openly say, "Listen, I've been sexually abused." How can me as an individual support that individual? Like, do I say, um, I can I I have this safe space for you if you want to open. I'm here for you if you want to speak. I'm here. How can we support that individual? That is a good question. Yeah, it's unfortunately a lot more common than people realize. And I found that once I was open to people about my sexual abuse, that I had a lot of friends that told me they were also sexually abused. I think the stat's a lot higher than they let on. I would say one of the best things you can do is like you just said, let them know that it's a safe space for them to talk to you in. Um, like they can just sit there, they can be open with you. And then try to figure out what you can do to support them. So ask them, what can I do? Like, do you, you know, need me to stay with you? Do you want me to go to a doctor with you? You know, I, I've had friends that were raped and then I see them a week later and they tell me, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go to the doctor with you? Do you want to get testing done? Like, what can I do? So, you know, just ask, let them know that they're safe to talk to you, that they're in a safe space. And then ask them, do you want me to help you find a therapist? Do you want to take legal action? What What do you want me to do? And sometimes they might just want to talk to you in that moment and then never talk about it again. And that's totally fine. And occasionally, I think the best thing you can do if they, tr if they basically don't want to take legal action, don't want to go to a doctor or a therapist, just check in on them, you know, like once a week, just saying, hey, I want to check in, see how you're doing, because those memories and that PTSD or that trauma will fluctuate. Some days will be great, other days won't. So just spending time checking in on that friend as much as you can can also be really, really wow. helpful. Do, do you know why I say this? I say this because I went out clubbing and I met a girl and, and she told me that and then we were talking about Reiki and um she was like she's like, mm. I don't want to face it. Like it's too hard because her Reiki practitioner told her you need to um face and you need to heal your childhood your childhood wounds so basically the sexual abuse and she's like, I can't it's too hard I'm not ready yeah it's terrifying yeah yeah so it's, that's why I thought you know what let me let me ask Aaron because like you know like like how can we help how can we create that safe space Aaron you know where you are now you're such an intelligent inspiring motivating individual what advice would you give yourself knowing where you are now to the beginning to the beginning Ugh. of your career or, or to your teen or to your um, teen years? Oh, so much advice. <laughs> um, I would probably, because I was so different than I am now, I probably would go back and tell myself that a lot of stuff is not your fault and don't take anyone's shit. <laughs> like that is like stand up for yourself. Don't take anyone's shit and get what you want done in life. I spent a lot of my childhood pleasing others um like I had like quite an emotionally abusive dad and then the sexual abuse and just a whole host of issues going on and I just tolerated it because I thought being obedient was better than standing up for myself so I would go back and tell myself you are allowed to scream you're allowed to yell you're allowed to stand up for yourself and get what you want out of life because what I want to do in life is to help other people I don't have selfish intentions I have good intentions and that I'm actually I feel like I'm an okay in like terms of like being a smart person. Girl, I can make a good girl, you're decision. You're beyond super no. smarty <laughs> pants out here. Like you go beyond. Trust me. <laughs> but that's probably what I would tell myself. Don't take anyone's shit and do what needs to get done that I want in life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron, tell me about you. Tell me about your courses. So, so what I've seen is you have two courses running. 
Yes. So, well, kind of. Um, I have two courses up. I have another small, short course coming up in oh, November, which really, is exciting. Really? Are you yeah. ready? Are you ready for <laughs> yeah. Sharon? It's, it's around the corner. Ooh. We will see. We're getting close. I'm, I'm jumping on the rest of it today. It's not too bad. Like it's going to be a very like cheap, easy course for people to learn about their menstrual cycle. And if when they start to really deep dive into it, how they might be feeling through the different phases and, you know, how can they support their body through nutrition and lifestyle and giving them meal plans and recipes. So I'm very, very excited for it. It's more of like a creative adventure. So that one will be coming in November. I haven't decided the name of it. I'll come up with it eventually. Um, But then I do work with people one-on-one. I have a six-month program called the Hormone Haven where people can work with me one-on-one. And essentially you get individual consultation times with me. I work with people all over the world. I'm insured globally. And we really sit down. We do some paperwork-based testing. So we look at your symptoms. You take about a 400-symptom-based questionnaire. So I can actually figure out your response. 400 questions. Yeah, so I can figure out. Oh, well, luckily I have a system that figures it out for me. You're <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It does all the calculations for it. me. Yeah, so we do that. We do HTMA testing, which is basically hair tissue mineral analysis, which gives us your mineral status. So these are things like your magnesium, your zinc, your copper, your calcium. It also tells us your mineral ratio status. So you might have adequate levels of zinc, but you might have too much copper in relation to zinc, which can affect your hormones and your metabolism. It also, you know, leads to other issues. And it also tells us if you have any heavy metals in your body. And so I just got my test back and I'm pretty sure I None of my heavy metals were overly excessive, but I do still have some heavy metals in my body. And when these tests come back, I actually sit down with the doctor at the lab and we come up with a a proper supplementation plan to help people balance out their ratios, balance their metabolism, their hormones, and start to detox those heavy metals. And essentially, we work together over those six months to really reach whatever your goals might be. Your goals might be to, you know, balance your PCOS hormones, balance, you know, your hormones in general, reduce your endometriosis inflammation. It can be buried and that's what we did during the six month program and then I have a program called the blooming body blueprint which originally was a 10-week program and essentially you got all of my information dumped into an online program week by week I walk you through the steps of how to start to balance your hormones reduce your endometriosis system reduce your period pain reduce PMS x y and z and information for 10 weeks it's a lot of information, but I've actually decided as of next year, I will just be having it as a program that people can buy and then have access to it for life. So you can just slowly go through for it, go through it as you wish. Um, and the other cool thing I love about Blooming Body Blueprint is you learn how to chart your cycle using the symptom method. So people, yeah, people coming off hormonal birth control are, are off of it and looking for a natural way to see what their hormones are doing. The symptom method teaches you how to chart your cervical fluid and chart your basal body temperature so you know your um, fertile signs you know when to you know whatever your choice is to abstain to have you know whatever if you're trying to conceive or not trying to conceive this is going to help you (laughs) and it also helps you figure out going your hormones this is how this was a major part of reducing my endometriosis symptoms was learning how to chart my cycle so bbb incorporates both of those and as of next year that'll just be launched and people can buy it and you can have access to all of my information and brain dumping (laughs) in that one course which is really exciting so good for the newbie that doesn't know where to start which one would you suggest would you suggest a six month one would you suggest a one-on-one coaching if they knew, or should they just holler at you and say, I actually don't know where to begin. This is my issue. Which one would best suit me? Yeah, no, this is one of the reasons I created the course. So I think for people, when it comes to the one-on-one program where we work together closely, if you feel like you have the type of personality where you like to get things done at benchmarks, like you like having like, I need to start doing this by the time we get to our next appointment. If you are that type of person, I think the one-on-one is perfect perfect for those type of people that are just like yep I want to get this done and be done by here and I want to x y and z but if you're the type of person that you want the information but you want to kind of be loose with when you start to make these changes that's when the course is better for you because you can access that information for life so you can start to make those changes a year that's from now so, that's, two that's months really like generous you to be, yeah so I think to be like access lifelong 
Um, yeah, so the, it's more common now because we're realizing courses are more affordable than working with people one-on-one because when it's one-on-one, we have to charge more because we're spending a lot more time. Where with the courses, we can do a brain dump. You have all the information and it's also cost less because once it's yeah. done, it's done. Um, so I think the course is great because there's a lot of people that have really, you know, just wacky lifestyles and they need more time to start to make those changes. So I think the course is really good for those types of people. I love it. I love how you've um, categorized because there's so many different personalities. Some people are like, I kind of want to do it. I kind of not. And there's people like, hell baby girl, I need to be done by this and I need to see like, you know, so I love it. Um, your socials, tell us where can we connect with you? Where can we be your best friend? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at Moonly, so M-O-O-N-L-I dot X on Instagram. My website is moonlyco.com, and I am officially back on YouTube under Moonly. I saw you. I saw your two videos you've uploaded twice. Yes. I love the consistency. Finally back. I actually love YouTube. YouTube is fun. I just think it's a fun place to be creative. So (laughs) I'll be in all of those places. I find it hard work. It is. Are you on YouTube? Yeah, I'm on YouTube. Um, yeah. Oh, last one, Moonly. Where does Moonly come from? Good question. So, like, I essentially wanted to create an account that was literally just dedicated to creating, like, body literacy, and I didn't want to use my real name. <laughs> I don't know why. But I was really intrigued to learn that the menstrual cycle originally was in tune with the moon oh. cycle, and I always thought that was really cool. So, originally, before technology and artificial lighting during different times of the day women's cycles were actually in tune with the moon cycle so some people would either ovulate or have their period on the full moon or they would ovulate and have their period on the new moon and that was kind of like the way that our bodies worked which was super cool and super fascinating so I wanted to do something with moon and I was like what if I just use the word moon and then I wanted to make it cute like like do you have a course on this or or do you do a video on this where can we learn about this Oh, maybe I should put this in my yes, course for should. November. I will put this in my course for November, guys. <laughs> so you can learn about this. Yeah, I'll put it in my course. Um, I can't. I think it was just one of the doctors I had learned about this from. But yeah, like so there are sometimes people still can ovulate and bleed according to the moon cycle. If you don't, it doesn't mean that you're broken. Occasionally, sometimes I'm in tune with the moon cycle. Sometimes I'm not. It's pretty hard nowadays with artificial lighting everywhere. They think it originally happened because, for example, people would ovulate with the new moon. And what they think might have been the reason for that is the trigger from the brightness at light would trigger the optical nerve to cause the estrogen to peak and cause LH to actually release it when LH is what actually gets our um, egg out and ovulating so girl, that's, girl, there's that's a lot of deep stuff so make it very simple okay I will make it very simple in the course so it makes I mean, more sense drawing some diagrams I love it yeah no it's good it's good I yeah I just wanted to make a cute name that also related back to the menstrual cycle and that's what oh, I came well, up with amazing because because it has a meaning and obviously it sounds cute and sweet. But if I would have asked, I wouldn't have known. And and now look, now you're going to look into maybe putting it in your new course. Hell yes, I love it. I love it. Girl, thank you, Erin, for being on Gentle Touch. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being so open. Thank you. You're a very special individual because of what you've gone through. And so many people, the lives you have touched, even with it not be physically even just by listening to your YouTube videos, even by listening to this podcast, even by listening to your Instagram videos, like you're touching so many lives. And I just want to say, you need to keep going. And I just see you like doing so much. Like we would be TV, we would be touring, we would be, I, I see such big things for you. Thank you. That means so much. Honestly, it's such an honor to come on here and chat with you. And thanks for like giving me this chance to come on and provide some education oh, as well. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. You're an amazing individual. And and you're just so smart and, and you can break it down and you can give it to people in so many different ways. And just to be able to have done the major that you did and, and to be working in the safe house, it says a lot about you, girl. Not everyone can handle it. Not, not everyone can do that. And I just see great things for you. And I hope um, the trip to Europe happens because I want to see you. Yes, I will let you know. It's definitely going to happen. I'm not staying here the rest of my life. I'm traveling. Really? <laughs> so I will see you. <laughs> Australia, you know, you but know, some people are trying to get out to Australia. You know, they want to relocate to Australia. Why? I, I get it. I do get it. It's beautiful. It's warm. It's a very safe country. But it's just, I need diversity. I need 
culture. You're gonna love it on this side of the world because yeah. you get it however you want it. However expensive, however cheap you want to go, like if it's whatever budget and you're just gonna love it. And I just can't wait for you to achieve all your goals and your dreams because you deserve it. Thanks. Thanks, girl. That means a lot. Yeah, I appreciate no, 100%, it. Because because the universe will always reward you. You know, when we give and, and we're there for people, sometimes we're like, oh my God, like when am I going to, Um, I remember like I used to say to myself, oh my God, I'm giving so much. When am I going to get rewarded mm-hmm. or how? And then things open up unexpectedly in the most perfect way that even if yeah. we sat down to plan it, it wouldn't even work out. So everything's going to work out for yeah. me and I can't wait for your course. I can't wait to support you. I can't wait. Your girl is here. We just have had Aaron on the show guys from Australia baby girl your girl's here for you oh my god it's it's a new day for you and it's my end of day for today so so your wait so your day is my yesterday wait wait my day now is your yesterday so it's 9 11 a.m here on Tuesday and I'm still on the Monday so I'm one day behind okay yes Aaron baby girl thank you so much for your time for your presence and for for being such a special individual. And I hope you have a lovely day, okay? You too. Have a good night's sleep. Thanks for having me. Bye, Erin. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and found this podcast useful. If you did, be sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and joining Gentle Touch. I'll see you in the next episode. Want to get in touch? Feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. Link is in the description. Be sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you are on. Stay tuned and keep listening. Much love.